I'm Christian, and welcome to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast, a show where we talk about effective collaboration, influence, and leadership in an increasingly complex world. My interview partner is Dr. Dirk Schlimm. Dirk is an international leadership expert and the author of Influencing Powerful People. The purpose of this podcast is to share ideas and stimulate discussion, and it does not constitute professional advice of any kind. If such advice is needed, the services of a competent professional should be sought. The speakers, hosts, and Gemar International Incorporated are not to be held responsible for any use, misuse, or reuse of the content. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Gemar Leadership Podcast. Today, we're talking about the power of narratives in business organizations. Now, as a historian or someone who studies history, I am very aware of narratives in many different contexts, such as the development of movements or the formation of nations. Uh, Popular examples might be the origins of Christianity or the story of the American Revolutionary War. Narratives serve, in general, to create identity and cohesion. But what about narratives in the world of business? Dirk, where does that come in? Yeah, thanks, Christian. And so first of all, you're right. A narrative is uh, a story uh, with a purpose, and it is playing an increasing role in business as as people become more aware of its power. And the reality is that a, a business that communicates its plans and strategies with scientific facts and business logic will will find it very hard to really persuade anyone and let alone excite anyone and and that's where the narrative comes in right on dirk that sounds really good but as you know and i'm sure as our listeners know by now here on the jamor leadership podcast we love keeping things practical so do you have a narrative a business narrative that we can use to unpack this concept we're describing here yeah, sure. One of the most famous and, if you will, enduring narratives uh, in American business is the dishwasher turned millionaire. The, the 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 person is washing dishes, but they they really see themselves as a millionaire in the making. That that is the and in many ways the 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 archetype of a of a of a business narrative, if you will. Right, Dirk. And to just clear something up there, people might be thinking when we say dishwasher here, we're not talking about a dishwashing machine. Rather, we're talking about a person who's actually washing dishes in a restaurant. Yeah, sorry. You're right. I should have been more uh, clear here. But but again, it is the idea of someone starting at the very bottom and then with grit and determination they're working their way up. Right. Thanks for that clarification, Dirk. So uh, we've probably all heard about this story. It's been around for a while, but do things like this, the dishwasher to millionaire, do stories like this still happen today? Yes, I I think they they do. And so maybe let's look at an example that's close to home. The other day, uh, you picked up some fish and chips at at a restaurant nearby, and I saw that you left them a nice review on Google after after doing that. Yes, we had quite a discussion about our our recent visit to the Halibut House here, a fish and chips place near us. And it was nothing fancy, nothing fancy at all, really. But as far as fish and chips go, I, I think we enjoyed them quite a bit. Yeah, and and uh, Christian, exactly. And and after you brought home the the fish and chips, I had a quick look at their website, and of course, I had a menu and pricing and so forth. So those, those are the facts, if you will. Uh, but but they also had a section called how it started. 
And there they talked about their first restaurant in Port Perry, and that's a small town here in Ontario, and, and how the founding couple of the Halibut House uh, arrived as refugees. And initially they worked several jobs to make a, a living, and then they worked tirelessly uh, in their fish and chips place to perfect their craft, and they put in commitment and passion and, and all of this uh, hard work. And so literally starting from nothing has led them to uh, building up the Halibut House, not just as a, a single restaurant, but becoming a very successful fish and chips uh, franchise chain here in, in, in Ontario. Yeah, when I looked it up on the website after we spoke, I can say that it is quite a story that they have at the Halibut House. And I can already see that in addition to their very nice fish and chips, they also have quite a brand going for them. It's a nice place with a wonderful uh, atmosphere when you go in. So it, it really is a success story here. Yeah, and 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 that's right. And and so this is where their 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 uh, story with a purpose uh, comes comes in, and and it helps us to uh, relate to the people. It makes it, I think, even feel feel better eating uh, at the restaurant or using their uh, takeout. And and the other thing in their story um, is that they source only quality ingredients using local Ontario uh, potatoes for for their chips and using only wild and sustainably caught chemical-free uh, fish. And then, uh, again, that, that's a, another thing that customers, or at least a certain customer segment, really likes, likes to see. Right, Dirk. And I can really identify that. As some people know, I've gotten quite a bit into the food and restaurant review scene on Google. And I can tell you, points like those are indeed important to me. So, and, and the last thing is that they end their story with what people call a dad joke. Um, they say, thanks for coming in and catch you soon uh, again. Catch you soon again, huh? Get it? Yeah. So, so you, you can see there's a little bit of family humor here. And again, picture somebody coming in maybe with their young kids and they say, hey, dad, get it, catch, catch you later. So, so all in all, I, I really think that the Halibut House is putting forward a, a very strong narrative for their type of business. And I think it will help them market that chain and differentiate themselves from maybe much larger corporate-owned uh, restaurant uh, chains. Right, Dirk. And I think that's a, a great example. And now come to think of it, many businesses, especially small businesses, will have a Our Story section or web page on their website. So that's the narrative, and it's important. But let's take it beyond this particular fish and chips chain. What can we learn about narratives more broadly from this example here? Yeah, well, I, I think um, the thing is really simplicity and relatability. Right? Even if your business is more complicated than what we've been talking about, I, I do believe you need that simplicity and you need that relatability. There has to be a human component in it because that's what conveys the passion for uh, the business. And even financial investors who will, of course, want a lot of facts and figures and will scrutinize those finances mercilessly, they also want to see the passion and the energy of the people who run the business. So it really appeals to your core constituencies. And, and those are the owners, the employees, and the customers. Now, there, there are other stakeholders that a business uh, would have, but, but those threes, again, owners, employees, and customers, are the traditional core ones. And it's really good to have a, a strong connection to those three. And because you really cannot have a business without them and without them being supportive of, of your business. Okay, Dirk, that's clear. We got it. But 
as you're teasing out here, I think there's a lot more we could unpack. So what else can we get from this? Yeah, so so I think that, again, a, a narrative is a story with a purpose, but it's not a single storyline. In fact, our Halibut house here, they, they have three stories. They have the hardworking immigrants who, who made it uh, in their new uh, country. They have the small town uh, origin and small town feel of, of the restaurant. And then they have that sustainability uh, story. And that is very useful, especially as your business grows and your customer, employee, and maybe even owner base uh, becomes more diverse and things that appeal to people in one place may not have the same appeal in another. And so that even business or strategy narrative experts, and I listened to uh, one of them uh, at the Oxford University uh, recently, who, who make the very point that narratives should be constructed so that they can be developed by various constituents. And so you can adapt or even co-created uh, versions of that uh, narrative. And, and so you may have customers in an urban setting. So for us here, say it would be downtown Toronto, uh, who may think of the suburbs as sleepy and not so hip, but they still like that story about the sustainably caught fish and no chemicals. And um, maybe uh, they, you can then, as the, the, the business, highlight those experts a little bit more for those audiences, uh, dig more into it, or even seek partners like in marine conservation uh, or something like that. So that narrative really uh, becomes a springboard to branching out into different, uh, different directions. Wow, Dirk, that's a lot. And I could see how this is part of a much bigger story here and how it could play into branding and various other stakeholder ideas like uh, the environmental groups and all those other things that relate to sustainability. Now that we have a good idea about what a narrative is and how it can really be developed along different lines, are there things that we should perhaps be cautious about or keep a lookout for when we are building a narrative of our own? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. And there are really uh, two things that come to mind. And the first one would is what I would call narrative rigidity. Narrative rigidity sounds quite serious. What do you mean by that, Dirk? Yeah, um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a narrative can have a number of strands, uh, so to speak, uh, that can get developed and adapted in, in different ways. And in my early career, I worked in a company that had actually did have a very strong a narrative, and I had the responsibility for corporate communication uh, at the time, and with that came articulating uh, the narrative that was a big, big uh, part of it, and and the narrative found itself in in different places, in, including the corporate uh, slide presentation. And what the company did very, very well was to keep that presentation really up to date and current. And the the owner of a company, a very strong-willed entrepreneur made sure that everyone knew it, especially the salespeople knew it. And, and at the sales meeting, uh, different salespeople were called upon to, to present the corporate uh, slide presentation, and they really had to know it by heart. And the owner was sitting in the front row and was really following uh, every word. And I can tell you, these salespeople, they, they were stressed out. I, I'm, I'm, I know they would have preferred presenting to the most demanding customer uh, over presenting to the owner of, uh, uh, of the company. And, and so the company did get hyper uh, consistency uh, with its narrative, but, but I do think that people could have benefited from 
uh, a bit more freedom to make the story uh, their own. And the fact is, the the, the good salespeople um, actually did. I had the the opportunity to job shadow uh, one of them, so I tagged along with him on on customer uh, visits and so forth. And I really saw how that uh, sales manager had built fantastic customer relationships and maybe colored a bit outside the lines to use that term to, of course, follow uh, the idea of the narrative, but make it his own. Uh, but there was a lot of rigidity imposed um, otherwise. Okay, Dirk, thanks for sharing that. And I'm going to get off script a little bit here and ask you a quick question is, hearing how you describe this owner and what, what was being asked, is does this happen to be the same company where you were asked to do that stint on the shop floor? Yeah, well, it actually was. So now come to think hmm. of it, I, I learned a lot, right? I, I spent my weeks on the shop floor. I tagged along uh, with, the, uh, with the sales representative. So yeah, I got a bit of a first-hand view there. Yeah, thanks thanks for, for pointing that out, Christian. Right. So if people have been listening to the podcast for a little bit while, that's something we talked about previously in one of our episodes. But let, let's stick to narrative here and getting back to narrative and uh, back to the idea of challenges that can arise. What is the the second thing that you think we have to keep an eye out for besides narrative rigidity? Yeah, I, I think the second one would be for me that the world can change and it can collide with your narrative. And, and I think you need to be ready for this. And, and one example right now would be um, the highly publicized staff reductions in the uh, tech industry. Um, we, we read about this in the uh, business press or some of our listeners experience uh, it since they're working in that uh, industry. And we've, we've, we've talked about this uh, before. And, and some of these big uh, tech companies or big software companies, they have a very strong, we are a family narrative and they emphasize staff wellness and staff perks and and, and, and so on. And the Wall Street Journal just ran an article of one of the very prominent ones in, in that regard, where now a harsh reality uh, is, setting, uh, is setting in because especially if the company is publicly traded or has outside investors, they, they, they may be pressured to act now in a way that collides with uh, the narrative and, and people will point out these uh, contradictions and it can be, uh, can be hard to manage. So so as, as wonderful as your narrative is or uh, may be, you want to think ahead a little bit and you want to do a bit of you know, scenario planning, uh, whether your narrative will hold up uh, when times get tough for business, which, which there will inevitably really for any business and, and whether you are uh, prepared for this. And, and so in this case, you know, businesses are businesses. They're, they're not uh, families, unless of course you are a true true family company, and you kind of need to keep that in mind when you craft and and develop your narrative. Thanks, Dirk. That that was helpful to hear, and that has been a, a good discussion about narratives for business. So, where else can we find narratives in companies? Well, I think we can can find them uh, in in several places, but maybe we can uh, point out two for the purpose of our discussion here. And the first one would be your department, and the other one would be you as an individual. Okay, Dirk, let's talk about the department side first. Sure, and and maybe I can start us off with a, with another very famous uh, narrative that's 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 out there, and mm -hmm. that. Uh, um, that has to do with a, a visit of uh, President Kennedy, so JFK, as he was known. He was uh, visiting the, the NASA Space Center, and that story ha happened in 19, 
62. And, and on the visit, he runs into a janitor who's carrying in a broom. And the president asks the janitor, what, what are you doing here? Uh, here? And the janitor says, I'm helping to put a man on uh, the moon. And, and again, this is one of those archetypal stories of we are one team, there are no egos, everybody is proud of their contribution. And, and so it, that's why it is a bit of a, uh, a, famous, uh, a famous story. Derek, that, that's great to hear and a great example. So let's talk about it. Where's the, the problem here? Well, the problem is that since 1962, uh, human resources uh, experts uh, and others, uh, other experts, I guess management experts, have discovered and have articulated that the contributions of various, various team members are very different in uh, nature and impact. Right. So in the, the case of NASA, NASA itself needs a rocket science a scientist a lot more than they need the janitor. Exactly. And, and though quite possibly, and, and I don't know this, there are requirements to maintain a clean room mm. uh, environment that may make the janitor job at NASA very specialized in demanding. Uh, after all, after all I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know this, but, but the point is that company will, will now talk a lot more in terms of mission critical or strategic departments and non-critical departments that are just not as critical or they're even uh, outsourced. Uh, but of course they're necessary uh, because if they weren't necessary, uh, the company wouldn't be doing the task uh, at all. And, and this is now the new narrative is of mission critical versus non-mission critical. Okay, Dirk, that, that's interesting to hear. So a narrative that points to the reality that some departments are critical and others aren't. And I guess the good news here is for people who are in the critical department. So do you have an example beyond rocket scientists at in NASA that we could work with here? Yeah, so while we're talking about the, the, the good news uh, of that, the first department, and, and certainly in, uh, in America or North America, uh, that will be seen as mission uh, critical will be the sales department. Um, they will say that nothing happens unless someone sells something, sells something. Uh, they're the ones who bring in the customers. They're the ones who are closest to the customers. They close the deals. They generate revenue. Dirk and me just thinking about that, that seems to, to make sense. It sounds like they're probably right about that, aren't they? Yeah, uh, they absolutely are. And, and they are doing a good job advancing their narrative as they, uh, as they should. And, and so, so far, so good. But if your job, your responsibility as a manager is to run the department that is not as critical, you still want to keep your people motivated. You still want them to see uh, that what they do is important. Because again, if it wasn't important, then why are we doing it? And so really no one should have to apologize for doing their work that has been assigned to them by their company. Okay, Dirk, that's a, a big claim. How do we do that? Yeah, I, I think um, we need to think about the true meaning of what we do and then we create a narrative, which is as we've discussed a story with a purpose. Such as? Yeah. So, so recently I completed the, the IGP, which is the uh, Information Governance Program, which teaches key elements of board oversight in the 
in the information uh, economy. And so they did have a segment on uh, compliance, which, you know, what may not sound super, uh, super excited, exciting, but, but the, the, the person who was leading the uh, discussion had a really good narrative. They uh, compared uh, the company in the information economy to a race car that races around a racetrack with some difficult curves where the car can spin out of control. And, and uh, race cars have to slow down when they approach these curves. But if you have really good brakes, you can go faster, longer before you hit the brakes, which gives you an advantage over the other racers. Dirk, that's quite the narrative there. So good brakes make you go faster, not slower. Exactly. And, wow. and I thought that was a really good way of turning the paradigm around, so to speak. So if you work in a compliance function in the company and the salespeople are saying, well, we are racing these high performance Formula One cars, uh, you can say, that's great. And guess what? I'm, I'm not here to slow you down. I'm here to help you uh, go faster because a high performance car needs high performance brake. And, and so the people who work in that part of the company will probably feel a lot, a lot better about what they, what they do. Dirk, I, I love that. I love uh, concepts that flip paradigms on their heads. So that, that's great to hear. And just, again, reflecting on that, thinking about your department's narrative is important for communicating its value to others and for also lifting the self-esteem of the people who work in the department. Yeah, Christian, uh, absolutely. And again, I really cannot stress this uh, too often. No one should feel that that their work doesn't matter because, again, if it didn't matter, it shouldn't be done. Right, Dirk. I, I think we've hammered that home here. All right. Thanks for that, Christian. Yeah, no. All right. So we talked about the company narrative and we talked about now the department narrative. What about the personal narrative you alluded to? Where did that where does that come in? Yeah, so so Christian, maybe uh, a good way of doing that is to to think about a job interview, and and if you go to a job interview, there will be all kinds of questions uh, about uh, your your qualifications. Maybe they even will have some tests or other uh, formal uh, assessment, um, and they will ask you about the things you've done and and how your experiences relate to the job for for which you're being uh, um, considered, and and so the. The interviewer will want to get um, a sense for your qualification, uh, but they also want to get a sense for who you are and how you got into the field that you're in and and uh, uh, so on. And this can be as innocuous as where they say, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, and, and so at that moment, uh, you don't necessarily want to rattle off the various sections in your um, in your resume, in your CV about previous jobs and education. Right, you don't want bullet points, you want a narrative. Wow, you got it. Right, so how do we do that? Well, again, Christian, a narrative is a story with a, a purpose. So this could be something that happened to you. This could be something you discovered, or this could be a real need you saw, or something that has always uh, intrigued you, and and then any of those things would have uh, caused you to take a certain uh, a certain path. Right, Derek, that makes a lot of sense, and I can see that playing out in my academic setting with writing grants and scholarship applications, where you need narratives like that. But you're you're the main man here. Why don't you give us an example? What did this look like for you? 
Yeah, sure. So, so during my corporate career, I worked closely with different senior executives in, in, in large corporations, and I had different uh, bosses um, who uh, were very, very successful. They were strong personalities and strong uh, leaders. And um, I, I noticed that some of them really energized people. And, and that meant that people walked aware, away from the interactions with them, motivated and to, ready to take on the world, so to speak. Uh, they, they were also very demanding. But again, you could really see how they created energy. And, and then others had the opposite effect. They were um, demanding. They, they got people to perform at a high level. So, so that was kind of, if you will, uh, the same. But I have no other way of saying it. They sometimes made people's lives miserable in, in, the, in the process. And so instead of creating energy, they deflated energy. And so, so in both instances, if you will, you had good outcomes uh, in terms of results that were uh, achieved because they were both uh, really uh, uh, demanding. They, they were both setting good strategies and so on. Uh, but, but the one type left behind good relationships and the other, uh, the other did not. And, and given how much time people spend at work and what impact uh, work has on people's lives and their well-being, that really makes uh, a, big, uh, a big difference. Right, Dirk. Okay, so we're we're tracking, but what happened here? Yeah, so I set out to to understand that better. I really wanted to understand the difference between these two groups, if you will, and and uh, uh, see whether uh, um, whether I could uh, really maybe uh, help them and and better understand this whole issue of of leadership and collaboration and influence and see whether this is something we can learn and we can get better at uh, with the goal of having both great results and great uh, relationships. Because it seemed like one of the groups, they, they, they seem to do that uh, intuitively. And so, so my question really was, is there a system behind it? And what's really more important is whether these ideas work in the real world of business that is very competitive, very fast changing, and very uncertain and can be full of harsh realities. Okay, Dirk, that's, again, a big, a big final statement there. What else could we say? Yeah, and, and, and so what I found is that some of the managers who were hard on their people were hard on their people not because they were mean, but because they thought they had to be. So mm. they were concerned, and I just remember some specific conversations about this, they were concerned that they would not be able to deliver the results that they were asked to deliver if they eased up on their people, uh, so to speak. So, so again, they were not mean on purpose, um, or they, they uh, were mean, if you will, or came across as mean, because they really thought they had no other choice and nobody told them any differently. And then what happened? Well, then instead, um, they, they learned that that having clear expectations, energizing people, organizing them well, and providing good leadership, even if you're demanding, it really helped them and others. And and so they, they were able to uh, change their leadership style and still have good results, but, but people's lives were just... Uh, better and and helping people do that, I just found that 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 very very exciting. 
Right, Dirk. And that's a, a great happy ending to that example here. And I guess just tying it all in, that's why we have this podcast. We support, we challenge, and we inspire leaders and their teams to innovate, lead, and succeed, and to deal with the demands of reality. Well, that's it, Christian, and a really nice connection you, you made here. Thanks, uh, thanks for that. You are most welcome. Okay, so there we have it, the power of narrative, another interesting conversation about leadership. So now, as always, let me consult my notes here and highlight three points that we could take away. Firstly, a narrative is a story with a purpose, and it can help us in the context of the organization of a particular department and us as individuals. It tells your story with impact. Secondly, a narrative is not necessarily one-dimensional, but can have several aspects. And depending on the person, their audience, and their situation, one can be highlighted over another, and people can make it their own. A third and final point here is that the more we put our narratives out there, the more people will come to rely on it and measure our credibility by it. And so we should do some scenario planning early to anticipate things that could challenge our narrative and how we would deal with this. We want to keep it real, of course, and we want a narrative that holds up both in fair weather and in stormy weather. Dirk, what do you think about that? Christian, I think that's a great summary as always. Oh, well, there you have it. Thank you very much. Well, everyone, after my great summary, as always, we'll leave it there. We're out of time, but we're so glad that you could join us here on the Jamar Leadership Podcast. We're here every two weeks and we Love that we have a community of people forming around us. I just encourage you, if you're listening to the end and you're one of our committed listeners, I encourage you to check out in our description box down below. Not only do we put articles down there that are relevant to the conversations that we're having in addition to a little blurb summarizing it, but starting now, we're also going to have a link to a contact us page through the Gemar website. So if you have any questions, any comments, if you want to provide any feedback or ideas, please send us a note through that contact page. We'd love to have a bit of a community forming here, and we love to incorporate you all into this podcast conversation on leadership. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks. Take care.